The Vape Passion Show, episode 21. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, first, I want to start out by saying that you should all continue sending letters to your lawmakers, asking them to support H.R. 2058 and the Cole Bishop Amendment to save vaping. You can do that easily by going to august8th.org. We don't have a lot of time left before these regulations take place, so as much support as you can give this, the better. Okay, so today I went to the Comic-Con here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, This is the third year in a row for me doing that. I'm not really into comics all that much, but my brother is, and but I still have fun going every year. So he actually won a car like two months ago, two or three months ago, in a contest. And he sold it back to the dealership, so he has a bunch of extra money, and he decided to splurge on getting us both VIP passes to the Comic-Con. This was probably one of the most disorganized events I've ever gone to. Any event, not just the Comic-Con, any event. People couldn't get into the building on time to see the first sessions or early photograph sessions, many of which were already paid for prior to coming to the event. And then you had to go in one line to get a voucher, turn that voucher into another line to get a stamped card. Then you had to take your stamped card to another line to get a receipt. And then you had to wait over an hour with that receipt to get an autograph. And this was me and my brother as VIPs. I feel really sorry for the people who didn't have a VIP pass. It was just ridiculous. Staff didn't know where to send people. They were sending people to the wrong places. Organizers were changing the photograph and autograph schedules without giving anyone notice. Forcing people to miss meeting the people that they had already paid to meet. And the staff and volunteers were really rude and mean. It was a disaster pretty much the entire day. But even despite that, it was still a lot of fun to see all those people in their costumes and actually finally get to meet some of these famous people that we wanted to meet. For example, me and my brother, we got to meet Stan Lee. We got his autograph on a poster and a comic book, and I also got a photo with him, and just my luck, I looked at the photo after it printed and I had cheese on my shirt, so that's there forever. Then after that, we sat down on a panel discussion with the cast of the 1984 classic Karate Kid. The panel had Ralph Macchio, who played Daniel, William Zabka, who played Johnny, the bully who picked on Daniel, and Martin Cove, who played John Kreese, which was Johnny's cheating and unethical sensei. Their panel discussion was really good. It was really entertaining. All of those guys are really funny. And it was just, it was a really good session. I had a lot of fun. It was a long day. We left at 8.30 in the morning. We got home at 8.30 at night. And we were pretty much standing in lines or standing on our feet the entire day. So I'm pretty exhausted now, but it was a good time. Based on how disorganized they were, though, me and my brother are really contemplating not going next year because it was just a frustrating experience and people everyone there was complaining about it the entire day like it wasn't just me and my brother everyone noticed how how unorganized the whole event was and you can see a lot of those comments on their facebook page too all right so as for my youtube channel you might notice that the amount of reviews that i've been doing has reduced quite a bit and that's because i've just been too busy with work I haven't had time to review anything. Work has just been so hectic that a lot of times I have to bring my work home with me to finish working. I do have the fortune of having a job that allows me to work wherever I have an internet connection, so that's nice. It's just been a really busy week for me. Busy last couple of weeks, actually. But I do hope to do more frequent reviews soon. I actually did record a few e-juice reviews, but I decided to scrap them because the e-juice that I was reviewing was over a year old. I actually forgot about it in my closet. And... I didn't end up liking any of them, and I really think it's because the juice was so old. So I just didn't feel like it was an accurate representation of their e-juice, and I didn't think it was fair to them to release those reviews. So 
I just scrapped them. Okay, so let's talk about some comments I received recently. Um, one from George Gonzalez. He left this comment on my YouTube channel on my last vlog where I mentioned the Cubis RTA screws rusting and about how little screws like that can be really hard to find. So he mentioned that you can actually pick up metric stainless steel set screws at rcscrews.com. A pack of 20 costs $4.95. They won't rust and they're excellent quality. And he mentions that most atomizers use the smaller 2.5 by 3 millimeter size screws and others use the large 3 by 3 millimeter. So those are the screws that you should look for if you're buying from rcscrews.com. And he also mentions here that a lot of the L-shaped Allen screws, Allen wrenches that we get with our atomizers, are pretty low quality and they tend to scrip the grub screws. So what you should do instead is buy a high quality Allen wrench that you can find at most hobby shops that sell RC models. He recommends buying a 0.050 Allen wrench driver for the smaller size grub screws and a 1.5 millimeter driver for the larger one. So really good tips there from George. And then I left a comment on a Reddit thread, actually on that same Reddit thread about the, the screws, um, somewhat un unrelated to the screws though. It was a discussion about using ultrasonic cleaners and using isopropyl alcohol in those cleaners. This person mentioned that you should not leave isopropyl alcohol in an ultrasonic cleaner when it's not in use. He didn't leave an explanation why, so I asked him why, and he responded saying, that the solution gradually evaporates, the vapor resulting from leaving the isopropyl alcohol solution in the cleaner for long periods of time, for example for a day or overnight repeatedly, can soften the plastic and could cause plastic sweating or melting. And he actually experienced this. In his case, the on-off buttons melted to the other plastic and the cleaner wouldn't shut off. So yeah, if you use isopropyl alcohol in an ultrasonic cleaner, don't leave it in there for a long period of time. And I actually did a little bit of research about this too. If you have a high quality ultrasonic cleaner, like a really powerful one, I've read that it's not safe to use isopropyl alcohol at all because it, it can ignite. So something to be pretty cautious of. Okay, now let's talk some advocacy. So I saw this thread on Reddit. This person says that vapors in India need our help because their right to vape is being taken away. He says that the one, of, one of the biggest states in the country, Karnataka, completely banned vaping. That means no sale whatsoever of any vape-related stuff, and some people are even saying that the ban includes a total ban on vaping in public places. Rumors have it that you'd be arrested if you're found vaping. And regulators aren't taking this so lightly. For example, you might remember a case where a man was pl put in jail for three years for selling a starter kit in Punjab. What their, their vaping community did was start a petition to the chief minister of the state encouraging them to educate themselves about vaping rather than outright banning it. Go to change.org to sign the petition and I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can find it. They're trying to reach 1,000 signatures and so far they, at the time of this recording, they have 613. They need, only need 387 more. So yeah, uh, sign that if you have the chance and share it around. Okay, and then I was looking at my local Safada Colorado chapter page on Facebook, and one of the re most recent updates says that H.R. 2058 is now a bipartisan bill thanks to Representative Colin C. Peterson from Minnesota. And if you go to congress.gov, sure enough, you can see that this representative has signed on in support of this bill. This is the first Democrat in support of this bill. So that's great news, finally having some bipartisan support. That could really pave the way for getting more Democrats in support of this. In addition to that, You'll see that seven new co-sponsors have already signed on in support of this bill at the as of the start of June, so that's great. Hopefully we can finally get some movement on this one. Okay, and then I only have one new product to talk about this week, and that would be the Segeli 213 again. So 
a lot of drama going on around this one. First, Daniel from DJLSBVapes.com tested the device and found a lot of problems with it. Mostly that it doesn't actually go to the wattage that they claim. And also, I think it was that the temp control doesn't work. It was a pretty fair review. He mentioned some pros and he mentioned some cons. So one of their employees, Sigeli claims it's a new employee, but we have no idea if that's true or not. But anyway, this employee had threatened Daniel saying that they were going to take down his channel, they were going to get back at him for that review. This guy named Song Kevin posted a bunch of offensive remarks on Daniel's page, and it was just completely unprofessional of a company. But despite all that, Daniel still wants to give you the facts, give cu customers the facts. So he says, Segeli lied to all the consumers over rating devices that don't provide what people pay for. Segeli lied to Mooch about their battery ratings and the switching of the sales used under the wraps without notice. And even if you discount the YouTube post, there are still the Song Kevin comments that are disrespecting people on his original review on his Facebook profile page and the Skype discussions with Segeli. And Daniel posted some screenshots here. This one says, you will be ruined in the next couple of days. Our lawyer is already chasing you. We already have your European address. So this style reviewer, style of reviewer has now an end. Segeli will never allow someone to hurt our company and as a consequence hurting our investors with a video unveiling specs or performance of our products. Have a nice day, Daniel Batista. And then in the Facebook post, someone, one of Daniel's followers said, Song Kevin proved that it does 213 watts. Because according to Daniel's test, it doesn't. And then Song replied, his test is bull just like snake making scratch. And Daniel responded saying, you just admitted it has a problem, so Sigeli released a new one, you were calling bullshit to my tests. Song responded to that saying, Daniel, stupid f as you are. So I really got into a big name calling match there, but still very unprofessional of a company employee. And then another employee tried to chime in on it saying, I noticed that you told me you didn't review Sigeli products before, but how about this one? And she posted a link to the Sigeli 213 video that Daniel just did. I guess, I don't know, trying to prove him wrong in some way, that he doesn't, he has never reviewed their products. I don't know what the point of that was. But anyway, he mentions that he got it from a shop, not from them. And then she said, I'm sorry to hear that. We'll try our best to make every product perfect, but still a long way to go. Oh, and then she asked, could you please cancel this video? It's bad influence indeed. And obviously Daniel said, no, he wouldn't. He'll never remove a video. And then she tried to make another threat. She said, our manager saw your video. Now we'll, we will reconsider to whether to send you the Fuchai 213. He said, it doesn't really matter to me about these threats. I don't care. Eventually I can get it later from a vendor anyway. And then Daniel posts some pictures here of the results of his tests. So the best he could get was 6.3 volts on a 0 0.27 ohm coil, which equals 147.9 watts, not 213. Then on Facebook, Segeli later responds saying that it would be 213 watts if you use dual 40 amp 18650 batteries which obviously don't exist because no battery can actually push 40 amps. We all know that from Mooch's battery test results. Daniel then shows that you actually can get 200 over 200 watts using LG HB6 batteries on a different device. So he knows how to get that many watts. You just can't get it in the Segele 213. Later, someone from Segele named Jenny Zhang responded to Daniel saying, apologizing for what Song Kevin had been saying on all the re reviews. She said that she'll tell Song Kevin to apologize and that he's not an official spokesman for the company. He's a new colleague and he shouldn't have done it. But yeah, a lot of people are not happy with all of this drama. Mooch tested the device also and also found that uh, a lot of the specs do not meet what they s claim that it meets so yeah a lot of people are pretty upset about this and it sounds like they could have cost themselves a lot of business in the future okay now so let's talk about some of the latest science and research in the news so this first one is on dailycaller.com which is a website i hate 
because it's so slow. They have so many ads all over it. I hate looking at this website. But anyway, this article is called Dr. Slam Study Linking E-Cigarettes to Teen Smoking. So there was a study recently published in the journal Pediatrics last week on Monday. The study claimed to show teens who use e-cigarettes are six times more likely to start smoking. And the results of that study are now being slammed by doctors and public health experts. So the researchers followed 300 high school students who had never smoked for one year. Half of the group said they had used an e-cigarette, while the other half had never vaped at all. None of the group had ever smoked. After one year, researchers found the e-cigarette users were six times more likely to smoke than those who had never used e-cigs. Based on this, the study concluded that the findings suggest that e-cigarette use may promote smoking during the transition to adulthood, but according to leading tobacco experts, the study's author is dramatically misrepresenting the paper's conclusions, and the research is riddled with holes. Anne McNeil, a professor of tobacco addiction at King's College London, said, The author seemed to argue that trying one puff of an e-cigarette caused some young people to try tobacco smoking within the next 16 months, and that's because the study examined teens who said they had tried e-cigarettes, rather than teens who are regular vapors. If this were true, we would be seeing large increases in tobacco smoking, but instead we're seeing market declines in youth tobacco smoking since e-cigarettes came on the market. This suggests that e-cigarettes are actually helping young people not to smoke tobacco cigarettes, something that the study didn't even consider. And then Peter Hajek, director of Tobacco Dependence Research Unit at Queen Mary University of London said, the authors misinterpret their findings. To assess whether e-cigarette experimentation by adolescents encourages smoking, one has to examine whether an increase in e-cigarette experimentation is accompanied by an increase in smoking on the population level. Such data is available, and it shows that as e-cigarette experimentation increases, smoking rates in young people goes down. In fact, the decline in youth smoking over the past few years has been faster than ever before. So yeah, another study debunked. And then Dr. Michael Siegel, he posted a new post titled, Why Must the American Cancer Society Continue to Lie to the Public? This time in coordinated fashion. So there was a letter to the editor published last week in the Bradenton Herald, and in it, the individual identified as being with the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, and they were telling the public that the Bishop Cole Amendment would strip the FDA's authority to review new products. She goes on to urge Florida Senator Nelson not to fall for the industry's latest trick to avoid critical FDA oversight of these addictive and potentially lethal products. So Dr. Michael Siegel, he looks into this and he says that the truth is actually in contrast to what the author states. The Bishop Cole Amendment would not strip the FDA's authority to review new products. In fact, under the new Bishop Cole Amendment, any new product placed on the market needs to go through FDA regulations and approval before it's allowed to be sold. And he says that regardless of anyone's opinion about the way the FDA should regulate e-cigarettes, it's inappropriate to mislead the public by lying about the legislation that Congress is considering. He also mentions here that he's pretty sure that this author didn't come up with this information. It was actually fed to her by the American Cancer Society. And actually, we know this is true because with a little bit of research, he found that the same letter is part of a broader letter-writing campaign orchestrated by the American Cancer Society in which they're telling their volunteers exactly what to say, even though it's false. One example being a letter in the Tallahassee Democrat, which was published last week, from another individual with the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. It's nearly identical in structure to the Bradenton letter, with just a few minor wording changes. And it doesn't stop there. An, a nearly identical letter from another volunteer from Avon Park, Florida, appeared last week in the Highlands Today, Tampa Bay Times. And another nearly identical letter also appeared last week in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So that's some pretty dirty stuff from the American Cancer Society. All right, and then some bad news for West Virginia. They passed a massive vapor products tax. They're now the fifth state to tax vaping products. So Senate Bill 1012 passed with a vote of 63 to 45 on June 13th, which introduces a new sin tax. 
which is expected to bring in 98 million extra dollars to the state in the next year. They're putting a 7.5 cents per milliliter e-liquid tax. And the Americans for Tax Reform wrote about the dangers of this taxing, saying that targeted excise taxes have proven to be unstable sources of revenue. In fact, only three out of 32 state tobacco tax increases between 2009 and 2013 have met or exceeded tax revenue projects. Out of all of those states that have tried enacting taxes, it has only worked in three of those states. He goes on to say, this punitive tax is both anti-health and a shameless cash grab. It is reckless to destroy with tax hikes small businesses accomplishing what tax hikes on cigarettes never could, getting people to quit smoking. Something else that comes with this new law is that no wholesaler or other person may purchase e-cigarette liquids from any seller not approved by the tax commission. So that's a pretty big hit to vapors in West Virginia. Okay, so now let's talk about some interesting articles I came across this week. So this first one here is on motherboard.vice.com. This one's titled, Vapors are using flavored e-cigs to stop eating candy. So they talk about how many tobacco users gain weight when they quit smoking, both because they snack to keep their mind off of cravings and also because nicotine is an appetite suppressant. They've noticed that people are starting to lose weight when they move to vaping. And what a lot of people are saying is that vaping has an added benefit of curbing a sweet tooth. It's not a well-known benefit and it's not happening to everybody, but it is happen happening to some people. They found one Reddit post that says, whenever I get a craving for something sweet, I just vape instead of eating a sleeve of Oreos. And multiple vapors say they have a similar experience, that vaping has helped them lose weight. But others have said that vaping only triggers their cravings for sweets, and there are no studies on the possible sweet tooth curbing effects of vaping. So what about you guys? Does it prevent you from eating sweets? I don't know if it helps me. I wouldn't say that it makes me want to go out and eat more sweets, because I don't, but I do find times where I am craving something really sweet, and instead of going to 7-Eleven and buying a piece of candy, I do, I would rather use my vaporizer, I'd rather vape some really good tasting e-juice, so, I don't know, there's a, there's something to that, I think. Alright, and then I want to talk about this article from CSPDailyNews.com, it's titled, Four Topics Everyone Was Talking About at the NATO Show in 2016. So the author here mentions that last year, according to Bonnie Herzog, which is a pretty well-known analyst who comes out with a big report every year, not just on electronic cigarettes, but markets in general. She said that last year was a banner year for combustible cigarettes and credited, credited the lift to a financially healthier tobacco consumer, disenchantment with electronic cigarettes, and an overall trading up phenomenon. Don Burke, the senior vice president of Pittsburgh-based Management Science Associates, said that a lot of stores are starting to get out of the vaping category. And in this article, they mentioned that cigarette sales were the surprise high point of 2015 and vapor sales were the unexpected low. After years of double-digit growth and expansion, MSA, being Management Science Associates, showed that vape volumes were down 11% across all channels over the past year which is down 15% in convenience stores and 25% in tobacco shops. The author also mentions that even the normally bullish Herzog had to admit something is amiss. She said that volume is still increasing, it's just decelerating, but without a catalyst, there are risks for this category. The wait for deeming is causing a kind of paralysis. But they do point out here that a number of vaping manufacturers and advocates insist that the numbers do not accurately reflect what's happening in the industry, in part because companies like Nielsen and MSA don't track internet and vape shop sales. But I wouldn't say that this isn't happening because I've actually seen quite a few threads on Reddit from vendors mentioning that vape shop sales have reduced quite a bit in their stores and they're wondering if it's happening in other people's stores. That might be only a small percentage, but people are noticing it and it, it makes sense to be happening because of everything that's happening in the industry right now with the FDA deeming regulations and all that and with all the terrible stuff that we're seeing in the media. Okay, so let's move on to an article from eSigIntelligence.com. This one is titled, Deeming Regulations, Many Vapors Ignorant, Majority Blissful. 
So they reported on a poll of 300 people that was undertaken by V2, an American e-cigarette company. In that poll, they found that only 9% of the people had heard about the regulations before the FDA released their final version on May 5th. A further 18% then heard about them on that date, and then 30% after that, leaving around 44% who were not aware of the regulations at all before being contacted for the survey. Nearly two-thirds of those surveyed did acknowledge it would affect their vaping habits if the cost of regulatory compliance drives up retail prices. If that happened, 8% said they would switch back to exclusively using conventional tobacco products, 18% said they would increase their use of conventional tobacco while vaping less, and 34% said they would not increase their tobacco use but would still vape less. And if worse came to worse, if e-cigarettes were driven completely off the market, nearly half of those surveyed said they would move back to tobacco products. A further 17% said they would move to nicotine replacement products like patches, mints, or gum, and 28% said they would stop consuming any nicotine products. It's really hard to draw a conclusive opinion on the state of American vaping from a survey of only 300 people, but it is worrying that so many of them didn't know about the regulations. Okay, so now let's talk about this really cool article from Misthub. So they took a look at the different types of wires that we use for vaping. This is a tutorial on nichrome versus Ni200 versus titanium versus canthal versus stainless steel. So the first wire they talk about here is nickel chromium. They say this is the first metal that started it all. Due to its ability to rapidly heat quickly with minimal ramp up time, nichrome has become the wire of choice for a vast majority of e-cigarette coils that come out of China, as well as the preferred wire for cloud chasing builds. When compared to canthal, Nichrome has a lower melting temperature and a lower maximum operating temperature. This also means that the life expectancy of Nichrome will typically be shorter than that of Canthal. They also mention here because it is nickel, if you suffer from a nickel aller allergy, that you may want to consider Canthal because it's made from iron chromium aluminum and does not contain nickel. Alright, the next wire up is iron chromium aluminum. This is Canthal. Due to its low cost, wide availability, and the fact that it can be bought in multiple gauges, it offers the most customizability for vapors. Some people claim that Canthal wire puts off a slightly metallic taste due to the iron composition, and some people say that it doesn't at all. But the functionality of Canthal wire makes it a pretty good choice for beginners. Alright, the next one up here is pure titanium. So this one is still pretty new to the market, but it is used in a lot of sub-ohm tanks these days for temperature control purposes. It's considerably stronger than Ni200 and it's easier to work with. But one concern worth noting for titanium is the fact that it can heat up to a point of ignition. If that metal combusts, you'll see a flame that a fire extinguisher can't put out. You just have to let it burn, which can be pretty dangerous. And also worth noting is that the formation of titanium dioxide can be harmful to your health if inhaled. Titanium dioxide only forms at temperatures around 1200 degrees Fahrenheit or 600 degrees Celsius, which seems like a lot, but a brightly glowing red coil can exceed temperatures of 1300 degrees Fahrenheit, so it is possible to release titanium dioxide. They say a simple solution is to not glow your coils, and if you see any kind of white powder fo forming around the coil, throw it away and wrap a new one. Alright, the next one up here is pure nickel wire. So, Ni200 is made of pure nickel and has an extremely high temperature coefficient, which makes it perfect for temperature control. It's very soft and springy, which makes it more difficult to work with when compared to other wires like canthal or titanium. And they also say that when wrapping nickel, you should space the wraps apart so that the heat is evenly distributed throughout the length of the wire. If there are any wraps in the coil that are touching each other, there is a potential for a hot spot that can cause a coil to short. So I've actually never heard of this before, so I did a little bit of research and it sounds like it's true. The reason nickel wire shorts when it touches is because it's a non-resistive wire. And when part of the wire touches, the current flows through all those touching points rather than all through the entire coil. This will create a resistance much lower than what you, you want it to read. 
and it could read less than zero, which would hard short your batteries. So yeah, that's a really good to know. The next one they bring up here is chromium nickel carbon. This is stainless steel. They say that it can be used for both wattage mode and temperature control, and I think that's a big reason why a lot of vapors use this wire now. They mentioned that 316L is a medical grade metal, which is one of the most popular th forms of stainless steel that we use in vaping, and in comparison to titanium, Stainless steel feels much stronger and is easier to work with. It's readily available and is also cheaper than titanium. So yeah, lots of good information there about the types of wires we have available to us. Alright, and this next article is from vapementors.com. This one says, so this is a tip for any uh, vendors or business owners. Vape shop owners are staying in FDA compliance with this simple ID scanner. So they mentioned that if you're a vape shop, you need to start checking IDs immediately, right now. But how do you know a good one from a fake one? So they found an app called the Bar and Club Stats app. It's available on iOS and Android, and it scans state IDs, identifying frauds, and ensuring your customers are of age. The app was initially designed for the bar and club scene, but anyone with a smartphone or tablet can use the app to check IDs, and it gives you the same security you'd find in a nightclub. It's also able to read the barcodes or magnetic strips on your customers' IDs and verify that they are providing legal identification. It can scan cards from all 50 U.S. states, as well as military and Canadian ID cards. And it also comes with a lot of customer demographic data that can help you, you know, provide better service to your customers. So yeah, it looks like a pretty cool app for any of you vendors out there. Alright, now I want to talk a little bit DIY. So, GordanaVapes.com, they were making e-juice and selling it, but they decided to close up shop due to the deeming regulations. But, they aren't closing their website. Uh, the owner of Gord Gordona Vapes, Marshall, he had mentioned something about doing something DIY related, um, turning that into a business somehow, maybe selling his recipes, but he hasn't decided on exactly what he's doing yet, and all the recipes that they used to make aren't currently up on the site yet. But the new site is launched, he's getting everything up there, he expects it to be up in a month, and in the meantime, he published all of his recipes on Reddit. So you can go to Reddit and you can get all these recipes. He's got nine recipes here and one extra, one that he wanted to put in production but never found the time. And if you look at some of these recipes, they are clearly recipes of someone who knows how to mix. These aren't just one or two ingredient recipes. These are like eight to ten ingredient recipes. I've never actually tried GordonaVapes.com, but I remember seeing the thread where GordonaVapes announced that they were going to be closing up shop and a lot of people were pretty upset about that because they really love their e-juices so I would guess that these are probably really good recipes to try out and I'm definitely going to try some of these out they they look really good some of the names aren't so appealing like grandma's gooey muffin or gruelberry cream cake those don't sound too appealing but the flavors look good really cool of them to release those and then I also wanted to mention this post on reddit from someone who tried DIY for the first time he says for those of you who might be considering DIY, go for it. So he finally pulled the trigger and spent his monthly e-juice budget on DIY supplies instead of pre-made juice. He spent some time reading the beginner's guide on DIY e-juice subreddit and came up with some recipes he wanted to try. He started simple for the first bottle, just three flavors, mixed up 20 milliliters, wasn't expecting anything good from it, but loved it. He says it's not perfect, but he made some adjustments and by the third try he's got his new all-day vape. He says it's honestly one of his favorite e-juices ever and he can make now he can make a bottle whenever he wants. Now I don't know what his monthly e-juice budget was for pre-made e-juice, but I think you can get started with DIY for much cheaper than that. I think you could probably still get a bottle of e-juice 
uh, as a backup if you really felt like you needed one. I don't think you need one. E making e-juice is really easy. But if you felt like you needed one and if you've never done, it, done DIY before, go ahead and pick one up. But you can get mixing supplies for really cheap. For example, if we go to myfreedomsmokes.com, you can get a bottle of nicotine to get started, a small bottle, for $8. You can get some VG for $7, propylene glycol for $7, a couple of syringes for $0.95 cents each, and you can usually get flavorings for anywhere between $1 to $3 for a small bottle. And a small bottle is going to last you quite a while. You only need a very tiny percentage of that bottle. And you can get yourself a couple of glass bottles for around 2 or $3 each. So let's say you got two glass bottles, a bottle of nicotine, one bottle of VG or PG or both. You only need one. You could substitute one for the other if you wanted, at least to get started. Uh, four syringes and four flavorings. That's all you need to, to make your first e-juice. That would cost you about $30. That's pretty cheap. And that's not going to make just one bottle. That, those ingredients will probably make you 10 or more bottles. That's going to end up saving you a lot of money in the long run. And then as you get more comfortable with it, you can get more syringes, you can get more VG, you can get higher milligram nicotine, you can experiment with more flavorings, you can get more bottles, you can get a scale, you know, things like that. And that's, you don't have to get all that right away. You can just build up your collection as you go. But I started with those basics and I was perfectly happy with it. I did end up getting a scale because a scale is much easier to mix with and reduces having to clean all of, all of those syringes. But, you know, really cleaning those syringes isn't that big of a deal. So yeah, I'd I'd also highly recommend getting into DIY. If it's something, it sounds like something you're interested in doing, go for it. It's it's fun and it's easy. And if you want to find a recipe to make before you buy buy your flavorings, go to a website like eliquidrecipes.com. That's e-liquid-recipes.com, and just do some searches, find some high-rated recipes, pick one out, find what flavorings you need, and then order those. Just just get enough for one e-juice to start with. And then, you know, get going. And on that note, Vapor Alchemist posted a recipe called Mega Man Yogurt on Reddit. This is a creamy vanilla yogurt with fresh and tart blueberries topped with crispy granola. There are eight ingredients here, so it, it, it is going to be a little bit more complicated. But he does mention that this one doesn't require steeping. It's just a shake and vape. But he does say that steeping helps the cream develop a little bit further. And also that a lot of the flavorings can easily be swapped out for similar flavorings. So you don't have to be precise. He mentions that this is not a clone of Rocket Man from One Hit Wonder E-Juice, but it was inspired by it. And in his opinion, it's better than Rocket Man. The flavors are more pronounced, especially when it's freshly mixed. And I just had to mention that one because he called it Mega Man Yogurt. And there were some comments in the thread saying that the name is gross, but he actually didn't mean it in a gross way. He meant Mega Man Yogurt because it's a yogurty vape and it's blue, like Mega Man. And I had to mention it just because Mega Man was one of my favorite video games ever. Um, ever since Mega Man 3, I think it was. I even have Mega Man 1 still on a 3.5 floppy disk. I don't have a computer that can play it anymore, but I didn't want to throw the game away, so I still have it. But uh, yeah, I've, I've been playing Mega Man for a long time. My favorite was Mega Man X on Super Nintendo. But yeah, I had to mention that recipe. Alright, this next one on Reddit was a, someone left their mech mod in the console of their car on a hot Florida afternoon. There's a picture here on Reddit showing that the battery vented and burnt up his dashboard melted it. People were pretty quick to point out how stupid this is, but also that it has nothing to do with it being a mech mod. 
any battery would have done this if you left it in, in your hot car. At least any lithium-ion battery, which would be in your laptop or your cell phone, you, you just don't do something like that. But still, I think it's good to point these things out just because it's a good reminder that it is not safe to leave your batteries in a really hot car. Like, if you're going to work for the day, don't leave your battery in your car if it's going to be sitting in the sun. I wouldn't even leave it in the car if it was sitting in the shade if it was a hot day. But yeah, something to be aware of. Okay, and this last one I want to mention is an interview with Rip Trippers. This is an actual real interview. When I first saw the name of this video, I thought it was going to be someone dressed as Rip Trippers and they were just going to make fun of him. But it turns out that it's actually a real interview with Rip Trippers. So JT from Vape Stars, who I've never heard of, has been hanging out with Rip Trippers for the last couple of days in Vegas, is what he says. But in this video, they cover a little thing, a little bit about the Dry Knuckles video that everyone gives Rip Trippers crap about. If you haven't seen that video, Rip talks about the short-term side effects of vaping that he got, mainly what I believe to be caused by dehydration, things like muscle cramps and dry skin. To combat those issues, he mentioned an electrolyte powder that he uses, and then he used an affiliate link to that electrolyte powder in the description of the video. That's what made people mad. Rip says that he still means what he said in that video, but it came out the wrong way, which is why he took the video down. Um, but he mentions that he didn't get paid for anything in the video, it wasn't sponsored by anyone, but he did have an affiliate link there. And if anyone wanted to click that link, they could, and he would have gotten a referral commission. So this is something that everybody does. This is something that all reviewers do, vaping or non-vaping. If you review a product, most people will put a referral link in there, and that's just to support the reviewer. It doesn't cost anyone extra. It's just that if someone buys from your link, you get a percentage of that sale. Usually it's somewhere around 3 to 10%. It doesn't really make a whole lot, but it does help people keep their channels going. So I don't hold that against him. I think that was fine. It was a little weird that he was pushing an electrolyte powder, but hey, I, I kind of get what he was doing there. Anyway, uh, they also talked about why he doesn't respond to comments anymore. And he says that it, it's because it just takes too much time. He used to respond to comments all the time when his channel was small, but he's just got so many comments now that he just can't do it. He, he says he does see them and he does read them, and he tries to think about those questions when he does future videos. But he doesn't respond to anyone specifically in his videos. He just tries to keep them in his mind when he's recording them. JT, he also mentioned that Rip could do Q&A videos that focus specifically on answering those questions. And Rip sounded interested in that. It would be pretty cool if he decided to try that. They also talked about why a lot of Rip's videos are generally positive, and Rip mentions that it's because he wants to review the good stuff that he enjoys using, but he'll still point out the cons. Like, and that's totally true. If you watch any of his videos, he just doesn't—he doesn't say everything is great. He always mentions the cons, and I think he's pretty fair about it too. He and he says that the stuff that he doesn't like is just a low priority. He gets too much stuff to review everything and he won't review bad stuff unless a bunch of other people are saying that it's good and he doesn't agree with it. A lot of the products on the market these days are generally pretty good. We've come to a point where most products are good. There's not a lot of crap on the market. Every now and then there is, but yeah, then they started talking about some advocacy, and I'd noticed in a Reddit thread people saying that Rip never talks about advocacy, and I know that for a fact that that's not true because I watch all of Rip's videos. I, I really like him. I know people hate him, but I really like him. I watch his videos and he mentions advocacy all the time. Um, but Rip, he started talking about how two years ago he helped start a group called Free to Vape. It didn't really take off, but it helped get things going in the vape community. It produced 68,000 documents from vapers sharing their stories 
which were all sent to legislators and senators, and he believes that it really helped the advocacy efforts. Um, not too long ago, he also auctioned off his car for $33,000, all of which went to Casa, Safada, and Free to Vape. There was no tax write-off because ad these advocacy groups don't do tax write-off receipts. So he just gave all that money away to those groups. And Rip he even did an FDA deeming regulations video not too long ago, just entirely on, on those regulations, asking people to do what they can to fight it. So yeah, he's, he's definitely doing advocacy stuff. I really think it was a, a good interview showing Rip as a normal person. The title of the video was called Rip Trippers Exposed. I wouldn't say that he was exposed, but it was a, a good interview to watch. Okay, so that's gonna do it for this episode. You'll find the show notes to everything I talked about here on my website at vapepassion.com. I'll also put links in the show notes or in the description on YouTube. If you wanna support the show, consider donating to my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash vapepassion. You'll find a link to that on my website as well. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion. I'm also on Facebook, and if you're watching this on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast if you'd rather listen to this in podcast form. I'm on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, subscribe to my YouTube channel if you want to watch the video to this. So like always, I'll answer any questions you have. You can just leave comments on my videos or send me an email at alex at Okay, so I hope to see you all again next week.